Ivy Walls was working as an infection preventionist in a Houston hospital when COVID hit. She realized then that many of her neighbors' health problems were related to a lack of healthy food. So now, Ivy is a farmer. She uses her family's five acres of land to bring healthy food to Sunnyside. Now she has a new grocery store on the way, and it's only the beginning. It's Thursday, February 24th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. All right, Ivy, thank you for being with us. So you are in Sunnyside, mm-hmm. so that's in South Houston. Yeah, South um, Houston, right under NRG. Mm-hmm. Um, it's being coined as the new med center district, but it is Sunnyside. Oh, that's not how I think of Sunnyside. I mean, I think of Sunnyside as like the black cowboy part of Houston. Exactly. So it was, yeah. um, it has been a historically black neighborhood since 1920s in Houston, um, before it was annexed by the city. How on earth did you end up farming in a place that is being sort of pitched as part of the new medical center? Um, so historically, my parents purchased five acres um, right outside the neighborhood in 1999. So I grew up in this city country kind of lifestyle. Um, but I ended up farming vegetables after working in the hospital as an infection preventionist. So what is that? What is an infection preventionist? Infection preventionist is in quality and patient safety, um, part uh-huh. of the, the hospital. And so we basically... Um, study how disease moves in and out of the hospital. So patients who come into the hospital with high, um, highly infectious diseases, uh, making sure that they don't share it and making sure that our doctors and nurses are practicing as safely as possible to not transmit it. And so after college, I went to work for the CDC and then I moved over to um, the hospital system here in Houston. Whoa, okay. You had worked for the CDC. You're then working in the medical center. Mm-hmm. During COVID, preventing infections. Uh huh. All right. How on earth are you a farmer now? Um, I realized that food is a major public health issue. So when looking at the data for my neighborhood, three out of 100 residents had COVID when other areas and more affluent places had 0.1 or 0.5. And so I thought to myself, um, how is this a thing? We're, the, we're a neighborhood so close to the medical center you know, we should have some kind of uh, uh, grit in fighting this battle with COVID. But then I realized we had one grocery store. And so whenever wow. and ever anyone gets sick, you go straight to the grocery store. I'm going to get my canned soup. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get my toilet paper. I'm going to get all of these things. So imagine this high-touch surface area in a neighborhood with one grocery store. Ew. So what did you do? So I was thinking to myself, my neighbors can't go there. So I, st- I had already started growing vegetables at the farm. Um, and I just started sharing them. Hey, I have some cucumbers. I have some squash. Would you like some? And being that his, Sunnyside is historically a community, um, you can't, everybody on my street, are, everyone's sisters and or related. So I can't give to one <laughs> sister without going down the street to give to another sister um, or going to a cousin two blocks down. And so eventually it became this thing where I was just dropping off no matter what, whatever I had growing, I was dropping it off to someone in some place. And so from there, it went from essentially a gardening project to coming into realizing that this is something that I can do and that I do have the possibility to make this a high production operation. And mm-hmm. so within the last two years, we've really ramped up production 
And now we're opening up a grocery store inside of the neighborhood. Wow. Are you still on that five acres that your family had? Yes, I am. And how much food can you get out of five acres? When it comes to like pounds, you can get quite a bit. Um, So our biggest thing is growing culturally relevant varieties. Like what? Like you said, we are in a country area of town um, and agriculture has always been the root of some of African-American culturally food of like okra, collard greens, turnip greens, mustard greens. Mustard greens and turnip greens are two greens you can't really find in the grocery store. So to see someone have them, it reminds people of all ages of their childhood. And so Uh um, we haven't really been counting on the amount that we're growing, but the varieties. And so our goal is to have um, 150 individuals or households consistently inside of our CSA program. So um, you can grow way more than that on that five acres. But our goal right now is to have 150 consistent CSA boxes coming out of the farm. So people more or less subscribe to your farm? It's community-supported agriculture for people in Sunnyside? Yes. So we have three zip codes. We have Mm -hmm. 77033, 77051, and 77048. And those are the three zip codes. Some of it touches on South Park. Some of it touches on Minitex. And um, majority is in Sunnyside. Yeah. So could you talk a little more about how you're serving the community? You actually deliver to people still, right? Yeah. How do you do that? Um, We have deliver and pick up. Um, Mm -hmm. And so... Like I said, it's really easy when you're serve, you're writing your own zip code. So I'm going. It's less than, you know, five miles of really running around, um, and everybody's related, so you can jump pickups together. <laughs> so wait, so are you just throwing like a CSA box in the back of your truck, or several of them, and driving around to people you know, or how does that work? <laughs> so we, at first we had boxes, but then we moved to paper bags, which are easier and um, to to transport. Uh, but yeah, that's ex- essentially exactly what it is. Oh, that is not a CSA model I have ever heard before. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it is tiresome. Um, so now people will be will be picking up from the grocery store. Um, and okay. those who absolutely need drop-off will be our top priority. Right. And we do have, um, for those who do live in the zip codes, you can sign up on our website and, and really put your favorite vegetables. That way we know um, how and when to drop off for you. I love this, having a CSA for a food desert. Mm-hmm. So what is the hardest thing about being a farmer? Uh, climate. Climate. The freeze last year really showed everyone that Mother Nature really can uproot some things fairly quickly. And it's not just our food system. It's our water pipes. It's our own sanity. So I think climate in general, I think, is really hard. But I find that it's very helpful that I am new in this space. So I don't have a rigid mindset around, well, this is how I've done it for the last 20 years. It should work. I'm always at, um, at ease with what's to come. I think of you as a very new generation farmer. You are on Instagram. You sell houseplants. You have fun events on the farm. Was all that part of a business plan you cooked up from the beginning? Or is it just what you were doing? Yes, exactly. So yeah. um, I, I'm i part of the social media era. Instagram came out when I was a freshman in college. 
And so I was able to start building a network for myself in the most networking place, which is college. And you're meeting new people every day. You're you're uh-huh. going to different kinds of events. So I was able to start building a network and understanding social media community very early so that when it was time for me to start the farm, it was almost like just turning over another page of opening up the possibilities. And like you said, having events that are fun and that are that are freeing for myself keeps me sane as a farmer. <laughs> um, yeah. And it also helps pay for the produce because it's at low or no cost to individuals in the zip code. So those who want to donate can, those who don't, don't. And so that those events and marketing in that way keep it going and flowing. You mentioned that you're opening a grocery store. Could you tell us more about that and about the future of Ivy Leaf Farms? Yeah, so it's called Fresh House Grocery. It is a partnership between myself and Jeremy Peaches, who is also a fellow farmer. Um, And we started Black Farmer Box, which is a collection of Black farmers in the area, a collective. We put all of our produce together and we uh, sell the box to those who do not live in the zip codes so that they can have equally um, fresh farm, farm fresh produce, as well as support um, black farmers in the area. Can you keep delivering all those boxes? So we're, we're moving that model to a grocery store concept where pickup will also be from the grocery store, um, having organic options, having places to be a human, whereas getting juice and coffee and strong Wi-Fi our primary things. Uh, we uh-huh. also have digital services and digital equipment that can be for rent. So if someone wanted to shoot a podcast, just like this one, that may not have all the equipment, they're able to come to the grocery store, um, check it out and and record their their podcast at the grocery store. Oh, and so cool. our, our goal with the grocery is to not only be a sense of um, fresh food and freshness, but a place to come and grow at all levels, um, to network and to really truly be a human inside of a neighborhood that has been forgotten and almost seems as everything is always secondhand. Oh, I love this. Thank you so much for talking with us. Of course. We'll have a link to Ivy Leaf Farms website in the show notes. And now it is time for some Houston news, and Farrell Gibbs, our producer, is with me. Farrell, what is going on today? Well, Lisa, Greg Morago from the Houston Chronicle had what I thought was a pretty funny article about the upcoming Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, the three-day world championship barbecue contest that kicks off today. Yeah. What, what, what? Well, the piece is funny because, for instance, he quotes a barbecue expert known as the hardcore carnivore who says that (laughs) this barbecue contest is like the beauty pageant show Toddlers and Tiaras. (laughs) How so? (laughs) Well, it's extremely prestigious uh, in the barbecue world. Do I have that right? Oh, yeah. It seems to be very... From what I've heard from barbecue heads, yeah. Okay, all right. Here's the interesting thrust of this article, that the barbecue samples that the judges get to eat when they're doing the judging is nothing like what you and I will get when we go to the booths. Those lucky judges get to eat cuts of meat from faraway lands like eastern Idaho. It's prime grade or Wagyu. Wagyu. Okay. Greg says competition barbecue is vastly different than cooking for a huge group. The competition teams are cooking for one, quote, turn in, one bite of food. 
So he quotes the Rodeo Barbecue's competition chairman, who says that if you're competition cooking, the meat is just babied more. And by babying mm-hmm. it, he means you start with prime, you inject it with brine, there's special rubs and all kinds of glazes. So you're really just trying to get one perfect morsel of food. And Greg says <laughs> the result is a flavor bomb that looks like a magazine cover. Wow. This is not just throwing a bunch of briskets into your smoker and leaving them overnight. Right. Which which the ones that can't get their hands on all of that prime stuff say, well, the competition cookers can't cook a whole bunch of meat like we can. So they kind of take pride in the fact that they can make a great bulk of meat instead of just one bite. It's two totally different worlds. Are there teeny tiny little like barbecue cookers to make these perfect bites? I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> If not, they're wasting a whole lot of charcoal on them or something. (laughs) All right. I'm going to be up all night thinking about this. All right. Thanks, Meryl. You're very welcome. That's all for today's show. Please, if you don't already subscribe to our newsletter, sign up. It's free. It's good. I write it. It's at houston.citycast.fm. We will see you tomorrow. Bye. You were right. I was wrong. Wagyu.